Welcome to Open in New Tab, following the meandering paths of online exploration. Today, I'm starting with Feral Child on Wikipedia. A feral child, also called wild child, is a human child who has lived isolated from human contact from a very young age, and so has had little or no experience of human care, behavior, or human language. There are several confirmed cases and other speculative ones. Feral children may have experienced severe abuse or trauma before being abandoned or running away. They are sometimes the subjects of folklore and legend, typically portrayed as having been raised by animals. And I am opening folklore in a new tab. Uh, folklore is the expressive body of culture shared by a particular group of people. It encompasses the traditions common to that culture, subculture, or group. These include oral traditions, such as tales, proverbs, and jokes. They include material culture, ranging from traditional building styles to handmade toys common to the group. Folklore also includes customary lore, the forms and rituals of celebrations such as Christmas and weddings, folk dances, and initiation rites. Each one of these, either singly or in combination, is considered a folklore artifact. Just as essential as the form, folklore also encompasses the transmission of these artifacts from one region to another or one generation to the next. Folklore is not something one can typically gain in a formal school curriculum or study in the fine arts. Instead, these traditions are passed along informally from one individual to e another, either through verbal instruction or demonstration. The academic study of folklore is called folklore studies, and it can be explored at undergraduate, graduate, and PhD levels. I am actually unfamiliar with customary lore, so I am going to open link in new tab. And that links to tradition, which is not as interesting. So I am going back to feral children. Description. Feral children lack the basic social skills that are normally learned in the process of enculturation. For example, they may be unable to learn to use a toilet, have trouble learning to walk upright after walking on fours all their lives, or display a complete lack of interest in the human activity around them. They often seem mentally impaired and have almost insurmountable trouble learning a human language. The impaired ability to learn a natural language after having been isolated for so many years is often attributed to the existence of a critical period for language learning and taken as evidence in favor of the critical period hypothesis. What is that? The critical period hypothesis is the subject of a long-standing debate in linguistics and language acquisition over the extent to which the ability to acquire language is biologically linked to age. The hypothesis claims that there is an ideal time window to acquire language in a linguistically rich environment, after which further language acquisition becomes much more difficult and effortful. The critical period hypothesis states that the first few years of life is the crucial time in which an individual can acquire a first language if presented with adequate stimuli. 
If language input does not occur until after this time, the individual will never achieve a full command of language, especially grammatical systems. And I do want to point out that Wikipedia says this article has multiple issues. It includes a list of references, but its sources remain unclear because it has insufficient inline citations and it needs additional citations for verification. Hmm. Uh, going back to feral children, there's little scientific knowledge about feral children. One of the best documented cases has supposedly been that of sisters Amala and Kamala, described by Reverend J.A.L. Singh in 1926 as having been raised by wolves in a forest in India. French surgeon Serge Aroles, however, has persuasively argued that the case was a fraud perpetrated by Singh in order to raise money for his orphanage. A child psychologist states that Amal and Kamala were born mentally and physically disabled. Yet, other scientific studies of feral, feral children do exist, such as the case of Jeannie. Skipping over to Jeannie. Jeannie, born 1957, is the pseudonym of an American feral child who is a victim of severe abuse, neglect, and social isolation. Her circumstances were prominently recorded in the Annals of Linguistics and Abnormal Child Psychology. Apologies, I do sometimes mispronounce words. When she was a baby, her father concluded that she was severely mentally retarded, a view which intensified as she got older, causing him to dislike her and withhold care and attention. At approximately the time she reached the age of 20 months, he decided to keep her as socially isolated as possible as a result of this belief. So he kept her locked alone in a room from that time until she reached the age of 13 years and seven months. During this time, he almost always kept her strapped to a child's toilet or bound in her crib with her arms and legs completely immobilized, forbade anyone from interacting with her, provided her with almost no stimulation of any kind, and left her severely malnourished. This is too sad. In the first several years after Jeannie's early life and circumstances came to light, psychologists, linguists, and other scientists focused a great deal of attention on Jeannie's case, seeing in her near-total isolation a unique chance to study many aspects of human development. Upon determining that Jeannie had not yet learned language, linguists saw Jeannie as providing an opportunity to gain further insight into the process controlling language acquisition skills and to test theories and hypothesis identifying critical periods during which humans learn to understand and use language. Throughout the time scientists studied Gina, Jeannie, she made substantial advances in her overall mental and psychological development. Within months of being discovered, Jeannie had developed exceptional nonverbal communication skills and gradually learned some basic social skills. I'm going to open social skills, open that link in a new tab. Social skills. A social skill is any competence facilitating interaction and communication with others where social rules and relations are created, communicated, and changed in verbal and nonverbal ways. The process of learning these skills is called socialization. 
For socialization, interpersonal skills are essential to relate to one another. Interpersonal skills are the interpersonal acts a person uses to interact with others, which are related to dominance versus submission, love versus hate, affliction, affiliation versus aggression, and control versus autonomy categories. Positive interpersonal skills include persuasion, active listening, delegation, and stewardship, among others. A healthy social interest that involves more than being in a group is required for well-adjusted social skills. Social psychology is the academic discipline that does research related to social skills and studies how skills are learned by an individual through changes in attitude, thinking, and belief. I'm going to skip to 2.5 of this article, Antisocial Behaviors. The authors of the book, Snakes in Suits, When Psychopaths Go to Work, explore psychopathy in the workplace. The FBI consultants describe a five-phase model of how a typical psychopath climbs and maintains power. Many traits exhibited by these individuals include superficial charm, insincerity, egocentricity, manipulativeness, grandiosity, lack of empathy, low on agreeableness, independence, rigidity, stubbornness, and dictatorial tendencies. Babic and Hare say for corporate psychopaths, success is defined as the best revenge and their problem behaviors are repeated ad infinitum due to little insight and their proto-emotion, such as anger, frustration, and rage, is refracted as irresistible charm is refracted uh, opening link in new tab uh, that links to impression management impression management is a conscious or subconscious process in which people attempt to influence the perceptions of other people about a person object or event they do so by Regulating and Controlling Information in Social Interaction. It was first conceptualized by Irving Goffman in The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life and was then expanded upon in 1967. An example of impression management theory in play is in sports such as soccer. At an important game, a player would want to showcase themselves in the best light possible because there are college recruiters watching. This person would have the flashiest pair of cleats and try to perform their best to show off their skills. Their main goal may be to impress the college recruiters in a way that maximizes their chances of being chosen for a college team rather than winning the game. Impression management is used synonymously with self-presentation in which a person tries to influence the perception of their image. The notion of impression management was first applied to face-to-face -face communication, but was then expanded to apply to computer-mediated communication. The concept of impression management is applicable to academic fields of study such as psychology and sociology, as well as practical fields such as corporate communication and media. Well, it's interesting that that linked from psychopath because 
I think everyone does that. Going back to psychopath, the which we got to from social skills, uh, it's actually on that same page, uh, the authors note that the lack of emotional literacy and moral conscience is often confused with toughness, the ability to make hard decisions, and effective crisis management. They also emphasize a reality they identified with psychopaths from studies that psychopaths are not able to be influenced by any sort of therapy. Um, staying on the social skills page, but going down to management and behavior theory, to behaviorists, social skills are learned behaviors that allow people to achieve social reinforcement. According to Schneider and Byrne, who conducted a meta-analysis of social skills training procedures, operant conditioning procedures for training social skills had the largest effect size, followed by modeling, coaching, and social cognitive techniques. Open a new tab, operant conditioning. Operant conditioning, also called instrumental conditioning, is a learning process through which the strength of a behavior is modified by reinforcement or punishment. It is also a procedure that is used to bring about such learning. Although operant and classical conditioning both involve behaviors controlled by environmental stimuli, they differ in nature. In operant conditioning, stimuli present when a behavior is rewarded or punished come to control that behavior. For example, a child may learn to open a box to get the sweets inside or learn to avoid touching a hot stove. In operant terms, the box and the stove are discriminative stimuli. Operant behavior is said to be voluntary. For example, the child may face a choice between opening the box and petting a pumpy. In contrast, Classical conditioning involves involuntary behavior based on the pairing of stimuli with biologically significant events. For example, sights of sweets may cause a child to salivate, or the sound of a door slam may signal an angry parent, causing a child to tremble. Salivation and trembling are not operants. They are not reinforced by their consequences, and they are not voluntarily chosen. Well, thank you for listening today on OpenLink in New Tab and following along with my meanderous wanderings.